Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, look at I'm all camoed out, man. I got the camo camo cup. I got the camo hat. Bleacher Blums is in action. Yeah, <laughs> a camo and an afghan. There we go. <laughs> what an interesting way to start this episode of Bleacher Blums is Tuttle is going to relax and take a nap. If you're on the Social Notion Network, you can see it. And if you're listening on the podcast, it looks like Tuttle's just in a beautiful armchair and uh, a blanket ready to take a nap. But uh, hopefully we keep him awake and hopefully we keep everybody awake who's listening Wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. It looks like, at least here in Houston, it looks like a lot more people are commuting and driving and getting out and creating traffic, which is probably a good thing for our, the audio side of our podcast. And uh, so that's kind of cool. And the downloads are continuing to go. Again, you can catch Bleacher Blums on all uh, major uh, podcast platforms. We continue to come at you weekly. Uh, it's been an it, it's been a long time since we've been on this podcast, taking a little bit of a hiatus on that one week where uh, the Astros are playing the New York Yankees, and my schedule was jacked up. Tuttle's working hard, and uh, but here we are, we're back. And Tuttle, how has it been over the last couple of weeks? I know that you and I have been in contact, obviously, uh, with phone calls and texts and emails and things like that, keeping up with each other. But uh, just let everybody at home know how you're doing, man. Lummer. Uh, happy to be with you. Yeah, you know, you and I stay in pretty constant contact uh, regarding topics on this podcast and other uh, ventures. But what what's funny is uh, you just touched a nerve because we would like Uh-oh. everybody to continue to download and listen to the podcast. But uh, I think the uh, the traffic is certainly indicative of more people are out into the real world um, because yeah. the traffic out here has picked up significantly. And I'm usually out on the road, uh, you know, throughout most days and i think uh yeah i think hopefully that increases the downloads but certainly man the 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 roads look like normal and and i heard this from the airport you haven't started traveling yet for work but uh somebody said they've been traveling kind of throughout covid wearing a mask all this stuff and now you know they would go to the airport and it was like a ghost town you know there's everybody's distanced and there's the flights are less they went to the airport last weekend and they said it was just, it was almost like, you know, they let the, the animals out of the pen. Like it was just a mob scene in the airport. So I think we're definitely going to see some normalcy. I believe the CDC came out yesterday and said, you don't have to wear masks. Right. Um, yeah. How about that? We all heard that. So you don't have to wear masks. Um, two weeks uh, in, after your back, it, second vaccination, you, you can go yeah, maskless, two, get after it. Yeah. So do we, does that mean we now have to carry our vaccination card in a laminated, like, yep, like we have to flash it everywhere. Yeah. Like, sir, can I see some ID? You're like, yep, here's my vaccination card. Don't need a mask. <laughs> but uh, I think from a science perspective without, again, we say this, there's always that no political disclaimer on here, <laughs> not bringing politics into it. But I think it's funny. I, uh, I mean, you know, we, if the cases were on the rise, they would not be heading in this direction. So the fact that we're, you know, lessening restrictions and, you know, it's not just a feeling letting, you know, we talked about Texas Rangers and, you know, obviously Minute Maid Park and Globe Life Field and, you know, mm-hmm. things getting back to, you know, uh, congregating, people getting back to congregating. I think we're, uh, I think we're headed in the right direction. No, we are. And I don't want to get political either, but it was just kind of funny to hear like 
what what in the hell took them so long to figure out that being fully vaccinated is good and that you don't need the mask? I mean, I know you're waiting for results and tests and stuff like that, but it was just kind of funny uh, to, to hear that. And I know that, uh, with that announcement coming, uh, Frisco Rough Riders, a, uh, a triple a team out here in Texas and round rock express out there in Austin, they actually put out a press release that said full, full attendance, no masks, come to a ball game, enjoy yourself. So it's kind of, nice. it's kind of crazy how uh, fast that happens and how quickly it does turn around. And it's also, I think it's also encouraging too to know that there's hopefully now there's enough data with the vaccines to say they're healthy, they're safe, they work, let's go. And uh, yeah. that's probably the most promising thing that things are moving forward. And that's what's going to increase, uh, you know, everybody getting back to uh, rush hour traffic. Because that was probably the funniest thing for me working on, you know, through the studio last year, not having. Uh, people on the road and everybody locked down except us <laughs> is that my commute time had to be cut in half dude it was unbelievable I remember the first time I had to go to the studio for a day game and you know it's a noon start downtown Houston and I'm going okay I've got to leave it's going to take me an hour and a half traffic here what if this is locked up which way do I have to go I'm trying to figure out routes and I mean I got there in a half an hour it was unbelievable. So things are getting back to normal and it feels pretty good, but uh, it's been a fun week in sports too, man. Yeah. Let me put a, let me put an exclamation point on that. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, our favorite uh, family uh, astrophysicist had a tweet yesterday and I wanted to just because it was appropriate for what you just mentioned. So he says, and this is the science, not political. That's, that's his thing. People will think he's political, but if you're refusing to get vaccinated against COVID-19, Maybe it's because you're getting your medical advice from news pundits, fear mongers, conspiracy theorists, and other deeply misinformed people rather than the medical professionals. So, I, I mean, again, that will probably trigger some people, but the point is exactly what you said. Sure. I believe if the science was telling us that this is crazy, that the vaccine isn't working and that cases are like skyrocketing, I don't think that we would be trending in the direction that we're trending. So, um, you know, Let's get vaccinated, right? We know it's working. Mm-hmm. The cases are going down. And let's go back to rock concerts and uh, baseball games and <sighs> all the other cool things. I saw you were just talking about sports. The price, the ticket prices for Las Vegas football games, like it's just out of control. Out of control. So, yeah, there's face value. And they're like, <laughs> hey, we're, excited, I mean, we're going man. to Vegas and we're going to the NFL game. As well as oh, I think some of the ticket prices for like the, the, the NFL schedule was released yesterday, I believe, or two days ago. And uh, the ticket prices for that Brady Belichick rematch in week four. So um, anyway, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, but there's certainly no, but some the, sports imp, in, uh, implications yeah. for this. No, we can dig into that a little bit, too, because, you know, one of the thing I, one of the things that fascinate us. Uh, you know, being ex-baseball players is how the NFL markets itself and makes itself relevant 365 days a year. Uh, you'll listen to it. I've listened to it. There's a couple of times, you know, I'll flip through the radio and I'll be like, oh, what did he just say? Or if it's the Aaron Rodgers news, or if it's the schedule coming out, or if it's free agency, um, you know, luckily it's been good news. It hasn't been a lot of off the field news, which I feel like the NFL has, you know, had to deal with over the last maybe five or six years. But it's definitely trended in the right direction where there is some positivity and uh, you know, they make themselves relevant 365 days a year. It's interesting. You bring up uh, Vegas because this is something we'll get to later in, a, in the podcast when we're done with the NFL is 
uh, and the NFL leading off a baseball podcast. I mean, that just yeah. tells you right there that the NFL's done a good job. <laughs> but uh, Vegas is an interesting uh, market right now. It's a highly coveted market. And you talking about the Raiders being out there in the ticket sales, they just announced they're going to want, they're going to, uh, they announced the opening of an 11,000 square foot nightclub in one of their end zones. I mean, yeah. if there ever was a team or a city that has just grasped the marketing aspect and idea of sports in an entertainment mindset, it's Las Vegas. Look at what the Golden Knights have done. They have become a phenomenon overnight with how well they've played and the, and the, the scene they put on. And now the Raiders are doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, I read an article recently about a Las Vegas bookmaker that, you know, they always talked about the games where they lost the most money or what would have happened, but the golden Knights on their inaugural year, I don't know if you remember this, they made it to the finals of yeah. the uh, Stanley cup finals. If they had won, he said by far in his 40 years, this bookmaker was just retiring. He was setting the lines at the, like the Las Vegas Hilton in the old days, which became, he said they that would have been the biggest loss ever, which would have been funny that a Las Vegas team actually created the biggest Bre- loss. They ended up losing, and so it wasn't. But man, he was ner- He said they were white knuckling it for about two weeks there when the Knights, the Golden Knights, oh, wow. made the final. But but to your point, nightclub in the end zone um, tickets. Uh, I, I think it's great. The NFL and this will be relevant to baseball. How can baseball? We've talked about baseball being you know mm-hmm. America's pastime, but really. And the NFL, it hasn't been able to take that moniker from uh, from Major League Baseball. But I, I would say the NFL is certainly, with the gambling aspect to it, um, new franchises, uh, the draft, they did a good job with the schedule release. Who makes the schedule release an event? The NFL does. Yeah. And now they're promoting like the Belichick-Brady thing. Um, Aaron Rodgers is going to play the San Francisco 49ers in week two or three. They were saying a bunch of things about that, whether Aaron Rodgers might be a 49er at that time, you know, which he mm-hmm. still could be even the with North the Cal Trey Lance goes home. I mean, that's a or great NorCal kid goes home and plays, or is he holding out? And is that a Jordan yeah. Love game, you know, week three? I mean, so they're turning that even into a topic, but I think your point is, uh, is well taken, which is the NFL has made an event and a marketing um, uh, kind of activity about, everything that they do. And I think other organizations like the NHL, Major League Baseball, the NBA does a pretty good job of that, could do a better job of that and, you know, create a better audience. And I, I don't know, they always add the gambling variable in there. But um, yesterday I was my, I found myself listening to pro football talk. It's Mike Florio and Chris Sims, Phil Sims' son. And I mean, they were talking about the Deshaun Watson thing, the Aaron Rodgers thing, the schedule release. Oh, um, I mean, the topics are off the table. And just because Houstonians listen to this, the Deshaun Watson update, which was interesting, is that it looks like they're going to settle is what their interpretation was. But because these yeah. women came out of the woodwork and it looks like some of them didn't know what they signed on for, like, oh, you mean we have to actually go in and like, and, yeah, well, he didn't up. really do, he didn't really do all of those things I said, but I was just kind of joining this uh Basically, because the represent the eight, the lawyers represent all 22 women, the same law firm, is that it looks like 10 or 12 of them are willing to sign this thing, but they don't have the rest mm-hmm. of them on board. And then, and then Rusty Harden on the other side doesn't want to say, okay, we settled these 12 cases and then have 10 more to deal with. He's trying to get it all in one kind of, um, you know, negotiated settlement. 
whatever that means that, Hey, they're going to say that, you know, yes, they participated, but you know, here's some financial stuff. And then, um, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, it looks like then, um, Deshaun will probably be at, uh, at mini camps and things like that. So it was interesting how they're interpreting the news, but, uh, but, you know, obviously we don't, we talked about last time. I mean, he made some error in judgment here, but it doesn't look like he is a criminal. And I think that's an important part of this. I mean, you know, he's a 21 year old guy who uh, is single by the way. Um, And, you know, obviously he won't be doing that again, like getting girls off Twitter, Instagram, but, uh, but anyway, so, I mean, yeah, they turned it into a topic. And that was a 15 minute mm-hmm. segment that I actually listened to and it's the NFL <laughs> and there's nothing going on in the NFL, which was kind of your point. So. Yeah. And it, so the NFL has the excitement over their new schedule coming out. Aaron Rodgers is still kind of lingering in the situation. I, I've never, I've never been, I've never been in a clubhouse where the, the, the marquee player, the superstar was actually that disgruntled with the way things were going that they asked out. Um, in a situation, I don't feel like baseball's really lent itself to that type of situation too often. You know, the only one I can really think of that really is is current, but it wasn't. You know, Nolan Arenado was an interesting story in the sense that he he signed that massive contract, said all the right things, and wanted to be in in Colorado. But at the same time, he kind of recognized, you know, that the organization wasn't going the way he wanted. He wanted to be a high paid player and he wanted to be on a competitive team. And it just so happened it wasn't in Colorado. He gets traded to St. Louis and now he's on a competitive team winning the national league central with, you know, one of my favorite, two of my favorite players are on that team with Arenado and Goldschmidt. But uh, uh, now he's in a situation where they can win and Colorado's firing their GM and they're moving on. But Aaron Rodgers is an interesting situation because you, we talked about it off air before we came on, uh, John Kuhn, you said, had a couple of uh, interviews and has made repeat uh, appearances on shows talking about the Aaron Rodgers situation. And even though I can't relate to what's going on, just watching what's going on, I feel like Aaron Rodgers is always going to be in the driver's seat no matter what he does, if he wants out or if he wants in. Because if I'm in that clubhouse and I'm listening to Aaron Rodgers, I'm going, damn, he wants to leave us. This is going to suck, you know, because he's so good. And then I'm going, well, even if he stays, I'm not going to really be mad at him because guess what? He doesn't suck. <laughs> he's really good, and he's going to go out there and compete and put up good enough numbers to make us a contending team. So I think it's a weird, interesting dynamic that he's working through right now. You know, the, the parallel, this is a stretch. So I, I use a lot of analogies all the time. But the stretch for me is when we talked about um, the racial issues were uh, a big deal um, in society, as they still are. But in a clubhouse, we never really had those because as long as everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction and they're helping Mm -hmm. us win. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here in the sense that basically Aaron is has not been quoted. He hasn't come out and said anything. I heard also yesterday that Mike Tirico, uh, Aaron Rodgers was at the Kentucky Derby and Mike Tirico wanted to interview him on air. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do an on air interview, but he said, yeah, I'm I'm a little disgruntled. So he shared something with Mike Tirico, like a source, but he wouldn't go on Mm -hmm. air on record and say it. But basically in a month, if Aaron decides like, okay, I know my best option. I don't want to sit out. I'm going to go to mini camp and do all this stuff. If he just comes back to the clubhouse and says, guys, I don't know what all the hubbub's about. I said a couple of things. I had an issue with the GM, but I'm here as the MVP to help you guys win. Then I do. I think it'll be, it's very similar to that issue. As long as you're rowing the boat in the same direction and you're back in, it'll all be forgotten Mm -hmm. and forgiven. And, uh, and I think this point was made not by me, but I, I, if you start thinking of everyone's like, well, he could go to Denver, he could go to San Francisco, he could go all these places. 
they made it to the NFC Championship game last year. How quickly um, they forget that. I mean, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, the teams, you know, add a couple of pieces here. Like, there aren't that many And they might situations. have been one coaching decision away from going to the Super Bowl. Exactly. If they got to go for it on fourth down there, right? Which is what we were yeah. talking about. So, a really interesting, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a great kind of off season. I think, you know, this is the relevancy that we're talking about the NFL versus major league baseball mm-hmm. When major league baseball has off season. Nobody really talks about it. And then they try to do the hot stove thing and okay, there's some hot stove stuff, but basically from, you know, October to January, nobody talks baseball. The NFL does the opposite. I mean, Aaron's like, maybe he'll be a jeopardy host. Maybe he'll do this. It's like, <laughs> this is all just like fodder for discussion, but it's not really going to happen. And I think the point is that, you can say all these landing places that Aaron Rodgers may go, but there aren't that many places he could go where he'd be in a better situation. I don't believe. Good, good point. Right. Yeah. So no, I think that, I think that's a great point. You do have to, is the grass actually greener on the other side? And some of these NFL organizations aren't going to be greener on the other side. Uh, and that's, that's a hard thing to do. Um, yeah. in- Russell Wilson said something this offseason too. Remember about how he was yep. kind of like uh, he wanted to be included in some of the personnel decisions. That thing seems to have been swept under the rug. There's no place for him to go, um, you know. So maybe it's just maybe it's just us saying, "Hey, the NFL," like you know, is no. I think the you know, Russell Russell Wilson one is interesting because a lot of these players, you know, you you play in the league for seven or eight years, you watch things, you see things, you hear things, you experience things, and you go man, I, you know what? I want to be on the inside. I want to know what the front office is thinking a little bit. I want to be in on some of the decision-making. And then all of a sudden you pull back. Sometimes when you pull back the curtain, you look in and you go, eh, I'm, I'm good out here on the field. <laughs> I'm just going to stay away from some of the mess because there is actually a lot more than just personnel movement, you know, going on behind the scenes, you know, the, yeah. especially in the NFL with the salary caps and the issues that they have with contracts and things like that. Sometimes you pull back the curtain and go, you know what, we're not actually in that bad of shape, I think is what some of these guys actually recognize too. And, you know, staying here is not a bad thing. You know, this place actually kind of likes me and my teammates are, are good dudes. Let's go out and play some football boys. You know? Yeah. No, it's interesting. Cause we've talked about this in the podcast before. Um, uh, Nook Hopkins, uh, DeAndre Hopkins negotiated his own contract. I think the middle linebacker for Seattle negotiated his own contract this year. They decided to get more involved in the business side. And I just, you know, my dad used to say, know what you don't know. Like there are some experts. I read a fantastic <laughs> yep. article on the athletic, um, about, you know, they can only let you behind the curtain so much, but about the bears, um, the bears war room during the draft and how they were going to try and get mm. all along. It sounds like they were targeting, um, Justin Fields, a quarterback from Ohio State, and they had watched him play and they'd done this. But even when they orchestrated and that's the guy they wanted, they, there was no guarantee they were going to get him because they didn't know what was going to happen at eight, nine, or 10. So they realized, look, we're not going to get into the top five. So if the mm-hmm. things go the way we want, he was looking between nine and 14. If they can get into nine and 14, they had picked 20. And I don't have to get into the whole article, but the point is exactly what you said. Like sometimes they were talking about salary caps, structure, draft picks, trades, future. Like, what are we going to do? So sometimes it's not personal at all. And like you said, like, hey, let's get in the huddle and let's just go play some ball. Um, Aaron Rodgers obviously is a little bit more um, calculated, a little bit more involved, I think, maybe in things than, uh, you know, people are saying he wants to move to L.A. because he's, you know, going to marry a girl that's an actress. It's like, no, 
I mean, he's dated actresses before he, he lives out in California. His career. He could yeah, everybody he wants it. But that has nothing to do with playing football while you're getting paid yeah. you know, $30 million to do it. So <laughs> anyway, I think we've probably circled this uh, topic quite a bit, but I, I think it is yeah. interesting. And I think the relevancy to this podcast, as many people know, we love to talk baseball in here, but the you know relevancy here is how could Major League Baseball incorporate, I'm not sure we have the answers, how could Major League Baseball incorporate mm-hmm. some of these um, tactics and strategies that, um, you know, that the NFL uses to stay relevant all year round? Yeah. One way you can create excitement is talk a little bit more about a guy named Shohei Otani. Uh, this past week, the in you being out there in Southern California, you have a lot of exposure to uh, the quote unquote Los Angeles Angels, who arguably, in my opinion, maybe have two of the best players in baseball in Mike Trout and then Shohei Otani. And Shohei Otani kind of came over as a circus act or the unicorn of baseball in the sense that he was a guy who could throw 100 miles an hour and he could hit bombs. Uh, He's a unique physical player just in the sense that he's freakishly fast, has a ridiculously good arm. He's built like an Adonis and he has power. So how is that going to translate into a game where you play 162 games a year And we kind of saw him, you know, the solid management trying to figure out how to use a guy like Shohei Otani and Joe Madden, you know, who took over the reins last season in 2020 in a shortened season where we didn't get to see much exposure of any baseball. But here in 2021, he's actually implemented a six man rotation and Shohei Otani is a part of it. And I applaud Joe Madden. You know, he's got some wacky ideas and crazy mentalities when he goes out there and, and manages, but I think he's fully embraced a healthy Shohei Otani as a hitter and as a uh, pitcher. And this past week, I finally got to see him and call a game where he pitched a freaking unbelievable game, striking out 10, matching up with Lance McCullers Jr., who struck out 10. Uh, One of the best games I've ever called ever in my nine years of being a broadcaster. And he hit second in the lineup. It was unbelievable. And after doing that, he gets a base hit, strikes out 10. They end up losing the game. He played right field. He comes back the next day. And for the first time since 1916, he leads off a major league game after starting the previous game. So crazy things happening. I am, I am all in on Shohei Otani. I think he's one of the greatest athletes that uh, is ever going to play the game of baseball because he's able to go both ways and do it at a high level. Uh, I want to know what your opinion is. And then I want to ask you about a couple other guys that haven't done it two ways on the baseball field, but have done it two ways playing two different sports. But uh, any, any opinions on Shohei Otani and what you've seen or heard out there on that left coast? Yeah. So, uh, you know, he gets quite a, quite a lot of accolades. I think the word unicorn is great uh, because we do not see people like this come along very often and I think, unfortunately for him, just getting injured to start his career has kind of slowed the role, meaning that, you know, he came over mm-hmm. as this, I don't know, a commodity right. or a, or like, hey, you know, he's worth the price of admission. And then he got, you know, Tommy John surgery, had to get shut down right away. And then he was injured doing this and doing that. And it was kind of like, all right, maybe he won't be a two-way player because it doesn't look like he can stay healthy. And obviously this year, certainly this, the script has flipped. And, uh, and I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, we need more. We were just talking about the marketing arm of baseball. We need more of, you know, more people and more players and more athletes and more, um, 
more of us media podcasters uh fans to embrace somebody like this and realize and i think that's what we're going to talk about next how how rare this is and how fantastic it is and the one you know this isn't going to be earth shattering but the one challenge is can they get a winning team in los angeles to get trout and (sighs) otani more exposure i mean that the that's the the ultimate question you're so right the astros just took three out of four from them you know and they're (laughs) this is like a fantastic team and it's like all right you know that's challenging like trout the articles now are trout's having the best year you know that he's ever had and you know maybe one of the best years ever in baseball and you already mentioned some of the teams like the white Sox and the cardinals and the dodgers and the giants are even out here superseding anything the angels are doing because the giants were kind of you know the uh third fiddle to the dodgers and the padres who were supposed to fight it out at the top and and you know giving gabe kapler now we're getting off subject gabe kapler a little (laughs) bit of credit because you know i didn't think he was necessarily the best choice for the giants but he's pushing all the right buttons and they have kind Mm -hmm. of a a team of not no names but a kind of you know, the little engine that could like the giants always had, even when Bochi was there, they'd add a veteran and all of a sudden they're doing everything they can do. But I, I would, I mean, Shohei Otani, a two-way player, fantastic. And if you, you just watched him for the first time, I'd love for you to share a little more clarity on what you saw as a former player and like what you would think facing him, because I think every year I realize this or every Olympic year, when you watch the Olympic skiers, you're like, I mean, they're just skiing downhill as fast as they can. And if you've ever been to any of those mountains, you realize that the mountain is like this on TV. It looks like this. I think it's the same thing when you watch a guy like Shohei Otani, like he's six, three or six, four, you know, so that never hits you until you like stand there next to him Mm -hmm. and he's hitting balls 500 feet. You're like, Oh, that he hit that a long way. And now he's throwing pitches that nobody can hit. I, I would love to hear. I mean, certainly needs a little more notoriety and a little more exposure to appreciate the greatness but you got to see it firsthand and what, what, you know, yeah. create um, a little color around the insights that you have. Yeah. It, it was mu- very much like uh, seeing Mike Trout, Mike Trout in person for the first time too, because you heard so much about him and then you get to see him and the physicality at which he plays. He, he, you know, Mike Trout's a thick individual built strong, mm-hmm. has crazy power, great eye, all of his baseball skills are off the chart. And then you see him go out there and play with that physicality that not many people can do is, is very impressive. But uh, Shohei Otani, I had the chance two years ago when we were getting around the field and we're still able to get down there for batting practice. I made a point of getting towards the the bubble behind, you know, home plate as they're taking batting practice, just because, you know, I, I'm six foot three, maybe 240 pounds. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively large. And I wanted to go over there and see Large. how this guy measured up. And I went over there and stood next to this guy. I'm going, good God, this guy is all of six foot four. His shoulders are wider than mine. And yeah. he's hitting balls into the upper tank with ease. And then you watch him in the game. He ran a, he ran a sprint speed in that last game that we saw him play where he was running at about 30 feet per second. You know, and that's like in the mid 20 miles per hour. I mean, this guy is like, you know, he's 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 getting the speed limits on the road on the field. So he's right. a he can run. He's like a gazelle and he makes it look easy. And then the way the ball was jumping out of his hand and we had a conversation, you and I were talking because there's an interesting stat with his split fingered fastball that I think it's in the zone, maybe 10 percent of the time. Yet he, nobody can hit it and nobody can lay off it. So why doesn't he throw that pitch every single time? Because it's such a filthy pitch. And if nobody can square it up, just go out there and throw like about 
75 of them and he'll get through this game. But I would imagine eventually guys would start to lay off it or figure it out. Uh, and he backs it up with a hundred miles an hour, but uh, his stuff is electric. His wipeout pitch is that split finger, which is, is ridiculous. And I'm grateful for the fact that we actually get to sit in the uh, in my, in our chair and watch some of these replays because if you're just sitting on the sidelines or you're sitting in the dugout or you're at the plate and you watch that pitch go by, you're like, holy hell, that was nasty as hell. Mm -hmm. And you're like, how am I going to figure out how to hit this? But in, in the TV land we live in, we can, we can freeze frame, we can super slow-mo, we can break this thing down. And when you see the ball coming out of his hand and release and start to create that split finger rotation where it kind of tumbles forward a little bit at a little bit slower rate, and you start to see when that pitch starts to dive out of the zone. It's usually when that hitter starts their swing and they can't adjust. That's where that's where the fun and speed of baseball kind of exposes itself in how great some of these guys are. And that that is one of the nastiest split fingers I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we've talked about this. And I always think that velocity is way more important, like when you get drafted. Like that's what scouts look at. Like, oh, do they have the arm yeah. strength? But as you start playing. That gives you a ceiling, um, yeah. That's right. It gives you a ceiling, but as you start playing, especially higher levels, it's not always the velocity. It's right. It's location, movement, mm -hmm. deception. There's some other aspects that come in. It's nice to know you have the arm strength, but I think that's the fact that he can throw 98 to hundred miles an hour. And that arm speed wow. is so wicked that you as a hitter Great just point. have to get started so much earlier. And you just have, so whether he has deception or he comes right over the top, it's just, it's not always the velocity. It's the, like you said, it's the ceiling part of it. It's like, Oh, he can get it there and I need to be ready for that. And so again, anytime you have the hitter thinking or guessing like, Ooh, I want to be ready for this, or I want to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. Now you're playing to the pitcher's advantage, which is now you're guessing. And you know, he doesn't, he, you don't have any idea what he's going to throw. And if he, he can keep you off balance with that, but I think that's what makes the split, the split, uh, split finger. So devastating is that it's coming out of that same arm slot with wicked arm speed or arm, arm action. Speed. Yeah, you're right. And that arm speed is like, you know, I mean, uh, Trevor Hoffman, I mean, guys knew he was throwing the oh. changeup, right? You knew he was going to throw the changeup. Yeah, but you just can't do it. So I think that's where um, Otani's <clears throat> arm speed and his arm, yeah. you know, arm action is, you know. And it would be interesting to ask, you know, some of the hitters. You said you're not as, uh, oh, yeah. certainly for the opposing teams, but it'd be interesting. You're not allowed down in the clubhouse right now, but I'm sure you still have your sources down there. It'd be interesting not that they would come out and say, oh, yeah, he's filthy. Like, you don't want to give the guy credit. But it would be interesting to hear what some of the thoughts are against him. Not just how nasty the pitch is, but what they're going to be thinking the next time and the next time. Because mm -hmm. they're going to try and they're going to try and outthink him, right? I got to outthink the guy so that yeah. uh, so that they can perform better against him. But do you, did you hear any kind of um, feedback from what they saw? No. No, it, it, the thing is a hitter is you don't want to give a guy too much credit because then you're already beat before you get in the box. Yeah, and that's exactly. usually the sound bites we get unless I can get next to somebody and go, yeah. hey, dude, seriously, how nasty is that? Yeah. thing?" And they're like, holy crap, yeah. you wouldn't believe, you know, you know, right. you know, in this in this modern era where the split isn't isn't the pitch, it's usually the slider or a curveball. You know, he's unique in the sense that he has the split and it's it's filthy as all can be. Um, I want to get back real quick before we get off this subject is you brought up something talking about Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. And one of the big arguments in baseball, how do we market these guys? How do we, how do we talk about baseball year round? And the two guys that we're talking about, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are obviously 
one of the greatest baseball players ever to play the game and then one of the most unique baseball players ever to play the game, but we don't talk about them. I don't feel like we talk about them enough, and you nailed it when you were talking about they don't go to the playoffs. If you don't see that talent go to the next level, which is the playoffs, you're not going to talk about them as much. And I think that hurts their marketability because they don't have a team around them that gets them into the playoffs because the Astros got a lot of their attention uh, with Carlos Correa, Justin Verlander reemerges, Garrett Cole becomes a superstar because these guys are pitching at a high level and then they take it to the next level and the Angels aren't able to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's the winning aspect of this, right? Like how good can and that's Trout how you get and the attention. That's right. How good can Trout and Otani be if they don't take their team to the playoffs, right? And Rendon's yeah. hurt. But man, you got Rendon in there. And then there's another guy who's a you know, potential MVP candidate. I just think, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they need to make the playoffs so that this conversation can become relevant. And somehow, I don't know if it's the NFL, like the expanded playoffs, or I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays last year. They got, I mean, they had a really yeah. good pitching staff, but a just Rosa, the fact Rosa that they Rain made the is a World great Series, example. That's right. Those guys get exposure. So now we're talking about a Rosarena and Glass now and these guys that nobody really heard of in Tampa. Yep. And L.A., Los Angeles Angels of the Valley down in Orange County. I mean, like, <laughs> like they like they have a bigger market. I mean, like, you know, this is like the, a hotbed out here compared to Tampa Bay mm -hmm. where there's a lot of retirees. I mean, it's just really interesting, like you said, that we can't get more, um, I don't know, more exposure for these guys. And even you mentioned, uh, I didn't know the Cardinals. You have, you know, Goldschmidt and, uh, and Arenado in, in St. Louis with some of the best young arms in baseball. And oh, yeah. we don't talk about them a whole lot, even now during the season. And they're in first place. And the White Sox are mm -hmm. doing uh, more than we yeah. thought with Tony La Russa because they have such a talented team. And it sounds like he's pushing the right buttons. It's like, you know, there are a lot of teams and maybe it's too early in the season, but we're just not talking about those guys enough. Um, and I think, you know, you could take two players off every team and start talking mm -hmm. about them and creating a, a marketing campaign around, you know, Arenado and Goldschmidt and, and Otani and Trout. And I mean, you know, you still have Bregman and Correa and, you know, you, you have more of a team than that, you know, uh, Brantley. But uh, I think, I think there needs to be some thought around that and maybe it has to be more organic yeah. than that and not created. And, um, mm -hmm. but, but I mean, gosh, we're talking about like, you know, playoffs, playoffs, <laughs> we're talking about practice. I don't know. We're talking about anything we want to talk about, but we're, you know, when, I mean, we're even, we're talking about like Deshaun Watson's massage therapist more than we talk about like, you know, mm -hmm. how Arenado, how fantastic of a third baseman he is or whatever. So I, I just, there's got to be a way to do it and maybe it has to be more organic. And maybe the answer is exactly what you just in, uh, in indicated, which is these teams got to make the playoffs. Yeah. Cause it gives them some more time to talk about. And then that's how you create another level of your legacy is by going out there and winning championships. Cause you hear about it from guys like Dan Marino and, you know, Tony Gwynn and these guys, you know, you know, what's the one thing you, you know, you've done so much in your career. What's the one thing you wish you could have done. Every one of them will say, I wish I would have won a championship. Uh, so that's the ultimate goal, even as good as these guys are individually. And I think that's how you garner more attention and create that legacy that will live on forever. Clayton Kershaw is a great example. You know, he finally, you know, even in a shortened season, he still got his World Series ring and he can put that on the resume. And that's just going to add to the Hall of Fame votes that he gets. Yeah, Charles Barkley is another one who he's kind of a yeah. contrarian. I think he's like, oh, I don't care about the championship ring, but uh, Shaq mm. gives him. 
Yeah, Shaq. I don't know if he says that. Shaq Maybe I just that was hands. one thing. But Shaq gives him a Shaq gives him a lot of grief. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, and then someone like you, I mean, flip the script a little bit. Like you are a fantastic player for many years in the big leagues, but the World Series rings kind of make that actually makes it. Oh. You know, that makes it like. I, I, how how do I say that? That that makes a, a a fantastic career even better, right? Like that, and and it's not in the in the vein that um, you know, like Michael Jordan had six rings or Shaq has five rings or these guys have all these rings. It just gives you uh, more credibility and more um, I don't know, That's I don't the know, word. satisfactions, right? It gives you more credibility the fact that you were able to be on you know a team that you know reached the pinnacle. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys want to, you know, it's when you get in that argument, who's the greatest ever and did he win a championship? You know, that always seems what it comes down to. Was he able to win the big one? You know, and I think that, you know, everybody wants to talk about clutch, you know, did he come up in the clutch? Did he win the championship? And I think a lot of these guys are missing that, you know, even though they may have had all, you know, big league leader in fourth quarter comebacks, did they win the ring? Did they win the big championship? And that's always going to be a question. Well, well, just to finish that thought, I was just thinking, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Trout and Otani. I mean, Trout and Otani are fantastic players, and they could be, you know, when they're done with their career, Trout could be like a top five player of all time or a top 10 player of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- they don't even make the playoffs, whereas you went to the playoffs a couple of times and you have a World Series ring. I mean, it, it is. It's like the credibility. It's like this whole like people will talk about Jeff Blum in the vein, like, Hey, yeah, this world series champion. Whereas Mike Trout, yep. you know, I mean, you would admit you and Mike Trout aren't on the same level of ball player, no. but you, but you get into that conversation or in the room because of like what you've accomplished, um, you know, what your team accomplished <laughs> that you were a part of. And I think that's, I mean, that, that makes a big difference. I mean, it's just so funny how that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. And we, you know, we talked about Tom Brady being in, you know, he's in the Super Bowl 48% of the time he's like played. Um, there was some fantastic stat yesterday. Was it the bills or the jets or what team? Uh, the Mets. Oh gosh. This is again, pro football talk. So the, the Patriots went to 14 AFC championship games since the last time some teams been to the playoffs. I can't remember what team it was. Oh it's a gosh. surprising team. It's like the Jets or the it's like somebody like that. I mean, yeah. 14 AFC championships. Think about that. Since the last time. I, I mean, so anyway, so you can throw all those stats out. Anyway, we got a little off track, but I, I do. Yeah, the credibility is the right word and it's well mm-hmm. earned and well deserved. I just think uh, if you're the Angels, you do not want to let this generation or this era go by without making it yes. happen. And I think they can make it happen, right? Whether it be pitching or surrounding these guys mm-hmm. with better players, you just saw the angels. Give me, give me a little, like if you had two moves you could make or two things you would do that would enhance their chances to make the playoffs. what would it be? Uh, pitching. They need another starting pitcher in a, in a, in a bonafide, they picked up Iglesias uh, from Cincinnati, who's a closer, but I think there's gotta be, there's got to be a, a setup or a bridge guy, somebody that can get you from your starter to that back end of the bullpen without giving up runs because everybody that I saw come into these games, even though they were a couple of close games, it ended up being blowouts because they didn't have that guy that could shut it down and get through the middle part of the Astros order in order to get to a guy like Iglesias to shut that thing out. Uh, I know that uh, I feel like the Angels have always tried to rehabilitate 
you know, or get a guy who maybe might have a flash of brilliance. You know, Alex Cobb is a good pitcher. Dylan Bundy uh, wasn't, you know, was, was highly touted, but didn't really pan out in Baltimore. And he's pitching better with the Angels. But every time he comes out of the game, the bullpen seems to give it up for some reason. Yeah. So it would be another bonafide, not just another starter. It would have to be like a, you know, one, two or three and uh, for them to go out there and be competitive and somebody who can stay healthy. Uh, and then somebody in that bullpen who could pick up some uh, key outs when they need to, because I think when Rendon comes back, that offense is, is as potent as any could be as potent as any lineup in the major leagues. They just don't have the pitching to shut the other team down. Yeah. And I think your answer, I mean, not to belittle the answer, but I mean, that could go for a lot of teams, but I think specifically oh, yeah. for them, as we already talked about Otani trout and, um, and Rendon are a fantastic trio in there. Um, but, but I think, yeah, you nailed it. That game, even though Tani uh, uh, McCullers game, right. was one, one in the seventh or the eighth. They this is a great well. example. And then they came in and the bullpen gave up two or three right then in the spot mm-hmm. and they couldn't get to Glacius. And that's a game where, like you said, that's a game that you can be a winnable game if you're a team that's on the right plat, uh, plane to heading to the playoffs. And I, I just think, yeah, it'd be disappointing. And I know people have written articles about trout and everything, but it'd be ultimately disappointing if they didn't, you know, make yeah. a substantial investment into, I mean, look at, the Astros are a great example. They had the hundred year loss or hundred game loss years, a couple of those. And then they kept stockpiling, you know, the Bregmans, the Correas guys like mm-hmm. that. Then they added a couple of veterans um, around them. You know, Springer obviously came up, but they had this core group of guys, but until they got Verlander and Cole, they weren't a world series team. And that just, that made all the difference in the world. And I think it would just be a shame if the angels didn't recognize, I mean, obviously they, Oh, Pujols, We didn't talk about him. They designated him. Well, I was um, just going to say, if you're going to pick up some pitching, guess who's coming off the books next year. Yeah, that's right. Albert Pujols. So, but mm-hmm. gosh, it would seem another wasted year. Like you're going to wait till next year. Okay. I know you're right. Plan. It's just like, one, it pushes yeah, everything like, back. Yeah. So anyway, so I think we beat this topic to death, but I do think that, that, you know, two of the best players in baseball on the same team, um, and know. you know, not to overlook Rendon, but you know, two of these guys that are marketable and fantastic, and we're talking about the NFL all the time. So go figure. Yeah, yeah. I've only got one more topic. I don't know if you've got anything else on there, but I may save it for my own personal enjoyment. Uh, I don't know if you've got you got anything you want to pipe up or pop off about. Not right now. I don't have I don't have a a, a Tuttle uh, what'll Tuttle say today necessarily. But uh, right. why don't you uh, why don't you lay your topic on us and then we'll uh, we'll see if uh, if that sparks some interest. We've just been yeah. yapping as usual. Well, here. we in in past podcasts we've actually tried to stoke you know some of that hot stove or that year round talk about baseball and a lot of the talk that uh, not a lot of the talk but we've had talks about possible expansion in baseball. And I don't know how viable that is right now. There's some great cities that are that are growing, especially with the migration of the West Coast coming a little bit further to the mid Midwest and uh, you know Southwest and East as they as they avoid some of the issues in California. But uh, you know, there's talk now of the Oakland Athletics getting the okay from Major League Baseball to go out and explore other cities to possibly move to because the situation has gotten so bad in Oakland. They had plans for for a stadium right there at Jack London Square on the uh, water, which would be basically just across the bay from what San Francisco has done and been highly successful at. 
and I think has actually provided a very good model on how to be a successful uh, organization and have attendance, you know, because the beautiful new stadium and a beautiful new venue overlooking a beautiful bay and encouraging fans to come in there and watch it. What the Oakland A's are leading the West again, they're a very good team. So it's kind of crazy to me to think that Oakland is going to pass up on the opportunity to keep Oakland there. And it just opens up the idea of if you can't expand Major League Baseball into some of these cities that they want to, you open up the opportunity of taking advantage of some of these cities by having the Oakland A's become the team in one of those cities. And you being a former NorCal guy, I know you're a Giants guy, but you have uh, obvious knowledge in the area and uh, maybe what Oakland brings. But it's amazing to me to think that with the Raiders moving, the Golden State Warriors moving into a new arena and the only team occupying that massive complex at the Oakland Coliseum is the Oakland A's. And they, they make minimal updates to that stadium, but not enough to really encourage fans to show up and the economy and the political issues surrounding that, that organization and that city. I'm not sure if it points to them staying in Oakland. I would love to have your thoughts on that. Blummer, great topic. I uh, I don't know if the shots are still owners, uh, part owners, but uh, they were supporters of, are they? You I'm know? not sure. I, I know that okay, it's changed family. a couple of times and I know that, uh, you know, it's they're the no relation to Mark shot, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, but, but the, I know for, a, I know yeah. enough to know <laughs> to yeah. be kind of roundabout. I, I know, I know enough within that organization that it is, it's a little dysfunctional right now and they're having some issues. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is there's usually it was a, it was an ownership group with two or three owners, which means two or three decision makers instead of one that always makes it more challenging as you know, just like all the stuff on this podcast, you know, you beat me up. I beat you up. We can't make a decision. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, But, but no, there are a couple of thoughts, which is, I, I don't know why this just jumped into me again, another Tuttle analogy, but you know, and I don't know if I get railroaded for saying slumlord, but you know, it's kind of like being a landowner or a, uh, not a landowner, like a, 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 a landlord where like you have this apartment complex, you're getting plenty of money from it. Cause you have, you know, 50 rents coming in and you're like, this is great, but it needs a paint job and it needs a new roof and it needs. And so when do you close it down or when do you say, all right, we're going to leave you guys in here. We're going to, you know, spend X amount of dollars to refurbish this and do this where, you know, you've been accruing money this whole time. The Oakland Coliseum, you were very polite by saying they make minimal updates. I mean, it's a dump and it's, it's falling dump. apart. Yeah, and it's one thing when you have Fenway or Wrigley Field because of these, they're historic and, you know, they're adding charm more things and they are trying to, yeah, charm personality, but they're upgrading them as well. So, you know, in the off season, they'll redo the plumbing or something, but man, like the Oakland Coliseum, anybody that's listening to this podcast that hasn't been there, I mean, it's as old school concrete structure as you can get. Um, it's open air. The seagulls invade it. Like Jack London Square. I mean, you know, Facebook, Google, all these folks have moved into, I mean, they blew up Candlestick Park. Yeah. I still drive up to the Barry and I look at the point and I'm like, oh, no Candlestick Park. They did that because mm-hmm. it was time for an upgrade. So I don't know if the ownership group's trying to hang on to something or their math doesn't work out. 
But I think they need to spend a little money, make this great decision. Like you said, build the stadium in Jack London Square and then start the clock for, you know, revenue streams again. And I know COVID affected the Warriors significantly because they were going to open up that Chase Center and then no fans allowed in. And I mean, they took a big hit, but the hit is temporary when people get back out into the real world and they're starting to spend their, um, you know, their viable dollars, as they say, or their, their, uh, you know, they're, they're spendable dollars. They're going to be spending it on these activities and they're going to be out at the chase center. They're going to be out at uh, AT&T park uh, where the giants play. I mean, these are great places to go. And it's, you know, most of them are walking distance or BART distance. I don't see, mm-hmm. I see, like I said, this is from the layperson. I see building that stadium in Jack London square and using that as the most viable option. And so to your point, there must be a significant amount of dysfunction because you're, if you're going to let a major league baseball team, which ultimately becomes a cash cow with new uniforms or rebranding or a new stadium or whatever it is, uh, if you're going to let that walk out and with a young team, as you said, that's in first place every year, Billy Beans yeah. got them in first place. You know, they, they compete, don't have man. always the depth they compete. You're crazy. You're crazy. That's mm-hmm. that's a strong opinion, but you know, and maybe not based completely in fact. But I, I just think it's crazy. It is, and I think that fan base in Northern California, it's a dense enough population that you can support a team if you do give them that new venue and allow them to go without, out there and play. I mean, we've seen it with the the 49ers. You talked about Candlestick Park out there at Candlestick Point disappearing. And the 49ers took their fan base and went, what, about 50 miles south to San Jose and still do a great job of drawing fans. So if, if you build it, they will come. You know, I mean, there's something yeah. to that field of dreams aspect where if you do build a new venue, you will get the, the, the entertainment value and the, and the revenue from having that new ballpark. You don't have to build someplace like the Coliseum that is just this cavernous monstrosity of a, of a structure you can do something intimate like minute Maid park like uh is it still at&t or whatever it is oracle park or whatever the heck it is in uh you know san francisco where the giants are at it's it's thirty five thousand of your closest friends and people keep showing up it's a beautiful thing yeah. and i think it would be a shame you know i'm, I'm partial to northern california because i went to school just north of oakland uh, in college, you're partial to it because you're you're a, you're a giant fan, and you probably like the rivalry between the A's and the Giants. You know, going across the Bay Bridge. But uh, with what the Raiders have done, and we talked about the success of moving to a place like Las Vegas for both hockey and football, I think it's highly appealing. And the first idea, and you know, I got the I'm looking at an article right here from Yardbarker.com, and it says athletics to follow the Raiders to Vegas. And, you know, why wouldn't that be an option? That is a, that's a city that is growing exponentially uh, month by month. And they've proven that they can carry a football team and an NHL team. And I think with betting coming more relevant in sports, it seems like a logical first choice to have them in Las Vegas, even though it's kind of greedy on their part, which fits the mold of Las Vegas, but if it's kind of greedy on their part, just trying to appeal to another another major sports team. Yeah, and I think you know, I mean, you, you, everything you said is completely accurate. I think, I just think, like you said, being a Bay Area guy, you're a little bit partial to it, um, as because you went to school there. But I grew up there, high school, college, and I just think it's not just the rivalry; it's just one of those things that you'll kick yourself for. I mean, look, Seattle still wants the supersonics and they're in Oklahoma city. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. Baltimore and the Baltimore Colts and Indianapolis Colts, that's still 
a topic of debate now 20, 30, 40 years later. I mean, this is something that, you know, is going to affect people and say, oh, gosh, we could have. And I just don't want them to look back and say, oh, gosh, you know, Jack London Square was the perfect venue. There's plenty of money in the Bay Area with, as I mentioned, Google, Facebook and all the startups. And I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just a great place to stay. Um, But as you said, if the ownership can't get out of of their way, then um, maybe Mm. they do end up moving. But uh, the A's are going to be fine regardless. The revenue stream will be there. It's just... They can't stay in the Oakland Coliseum, partially because the Major League Baseball will say, look, you're playing in a facility that's not, you know, that's not up to <laughs> snuff. AAA I mean, standards. Just, yeah, I mean, it's just not, it's just not ideal. So, you know, at some point they're going to be pushed out of there. It's just whether they do it. And, you know, in San Diego did the same thing. I mean, I, I would just hate to mm-hmm. see it go by the way of, you know, you had, uh, you know, Qualcomm and then they built Petco downtown and then Qualcomm was the charger spot and they never really upgraded that. And they didn't know what to do with That's that. A great and, example. You know, all of a sudden they just lost the chargers and now uh, there are plenty of San Diegans and you're partial to San Diego as well that are just, mm-hmm. you know, they're heartbroken and they don't understand why they have to drive Completely. all the way up to LA to play a football game or watch a football game when, you know, there's a perfectly, I mean, now they've blown it up, but there was a perfectly <laughs> viable spot right there. And as you said, you don't have to make these places as big. Uh, the LA football stadium is huge, but baseball can be 35, 40,000 people make a 50,000 seat stadium, sell it out all the time for football and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and keep it, keep it low key. I mean, I, I just, yeah, yeah, it's a shame. And, you know, I wish I knew more about the business aspect and what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about that yard Barker article is because as soon as you say expansion, everybody says Montreal, Nashville, uh, some of these other cities, but I think it's interesting that Yard Barker kind of took the idea of keeping them in the West. So I'm going to rattle off a couple of more cities and see if you have an opinion on any, any of these, because we talked about this on our broadcast actually the other night. And uh, one of these cities popped up, which I think is kind of interesting, but uh, the first one would be San Jose. They have, they have the uh, area with, they know that these fans will travel. I know the giants would probably be upset about it because that's part of their market. But San Jose, Portland, San Antonio, or Salt Lake City. Now, I love Salt Lake City, but I just don't see that as a viable uh, opportunity for a major league team, even though they've got the Utah Jazz there doing a, doing a pretty good job. But I'm not sure they have the draw to be able to do that. But all of those cities are up and coming, growing, and uh, maybe in the top 10, I think, in population growth, which is uh, what Major League Baseball is looking for. But do any of those cities kind of jump out to you that where you're like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great spot? You know, I, I'm not going to sound old now, but I mean, like Portland, Portland sounds like a triple A city to me. I mean, we played, you mm-hmm. know, double A AA or triple A in Portland uh, before, you know, uh, same with Salt Lake City. They would get some fans out the Salt Lake City buzz. Uh, but I just think, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the draw is going to be, you know, 35, 40. I just don't see that. So um, San Antonio is a little more intimate and you're, you're more familiar with Texas now, but I just don't know. I mean, they support the Spurs, but I just, you know, I mean, that might be something, but not, none of those cities excite me more than Jack London square. That's great. You know, or Vegas. No, you're right. You brought up Vegas. I mean, like what, like the people that live in those cities might be like great jobs and, you know, professional sports and all yeah. that. But, you know, these, I, I always laugh. I mean, there's two things that people either don't understand or forget about wealthy people. One is, um, they're usually smart business people. I mean, they know a lot about mm-hmm. making money and, and keeping money. Uh, 
and, and the other thing is a lot of them, the keeping money aspect, they're penny pinchers. I mean, they're not, they're, they're not like sticking their necks out for their, for their life, you know, for their life savings. So, you know, why would you move to Portland? Like, I don't know how Mm -hmm. on paper with a five-year plan would you see that, Hey, (laughs) you know, unless you're going to build the value of the franchise with the logo and marketing, but I think, you know, it's the cart before the horse. I think they probably need to work out some internal issues. I mean, any of those cities jump out to you? Like, do you think San Antonio baseball? Like, no, I, th- I think I think you stated it perfectly when you said none of them are more appealing than the opportunity to stay in Oakland. And I'm with you on that. I mean, even though that, you know, that Coliseum area is just a, it's a crap location, maybe, but it's accessible to BART. It's accessible to the freeway. The airport's just across the way. I mean, there's, there's opportunities on that lot of land to blow something up and put in a decent stadium. Even if you don't choose to go to, the water side and be in Jack London square. You have a lot of land that has, that is yours. It is being leased. There's an opportunity on that spot to, to blow up Mount Davis for God's sakes and maybe recycle some of (laughs) recycle some of the materials, play the California game and say, you know, and build it right on that site. I mean, we saw it in Cincinnati where Cincinnati kind of knocked down part of the wall and built a stadium in the, in left field and then just yeah. moved across the way. So even if it's the yeah. new territory that, that bothers you about, you know, yeah. doing it, build it on site. You can blow up the well, basketball arena. I don't know, man. I There's was just, just going to say, by the way, people that don't know the geography, the basketball arena and Oka Coliseum are sitting right in the same, like there's, there's a whole a bunch of real estate them. there. Yeah, yeah, they're right there. And the basketball arena, hello. <clears throat> the Warriors moved out of there uh, two years ago now. Uh, so, yeah, it's time to, like you said, blow that up. That's kind of what my frustration was with San Diego. And again, not knowing logistics and real estate deals and behind the mm-hmm. scenes. You know, we're the talking about very, very sucks, surface man. level. Yeah, political BS. Ugh. But I mean... San Diego had the same real estate right there. That Qualcomm stadium may have been been too big, but then great. Make a smaller, more intimate venue right in that same spot that they can play it. Especially when they go from there to StubHub Center. The StubHub Center seats like 18,000 people or 20,000 people max for soccer. So anyway, we could just do this dance all day. I do think, yeah, yeah, San Jose is a possibility, which you mentioned. I guess that would be the only one down at Santa Clara, but you have the Niners down there now. Um, you have the San Jose Sharks down there, so there could be a spot. But again, the Giants fans and the Oakland A's fans, for lack of a better word, they a lot of them come up from that spot. So as you said, mm-hmm. maybe you would lose some of that, like, you know, the intimate feel of, uh, you know, the people that actually come in out of Oakland on BART or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, nothing appeals more than Oakland, uh, either the location they're already at or moving it, like you said, on the waterfront. So. You know, yeah. hopefully the left coast listens to this podcast and uh, maybe they could chime in on the uh, mailbag and let us know what they, what their thoughts are. I just, you know, I'm yeah, going to have to do a little more research about uh, ownership groups and, you know, teams and what and they're I'll, thinking, because it always involved. seems from afar that they can't have a conversation like you and I are having here to be like, all right, let's uh, let's make this work. Yeah, and we made this work. It's another episode of Bleacher Blums in the can. And if you're watching on the Social Notion Network, you're going to notice that I've got a pretty kick-ass Houston hat that is camouflaged because it's Military Appreciation Week, and it kind of fits with what we do here at Bleacher Blums and acknowledging and appreciating all of those who are uh, at the forefront of keeping our freedom uh, the military, we appreciate everything you do. These Houston Astro camouflage hats will be sit on sale at the team store during the weekend, maybe even on the online. Go check it out. 
Uh, and if you want to get a Bleacher Blums shirt like we've got, make sure you go to CrushCityTees.com or go to BleacherBlums.com and check out uh, some of the swag there. But uh, we're going to end this podcast on a, on a great note, acknowledging the military, acknowledging first responders, uh, everybody that is in stepping into harm's way to keep things uh, beautiful here uh, stateside and the pandemic hopefully coming to a close, all of those doctors and nurses and physicians and, and everybody who's getting us vaccinated and getting us healthy and keeping us healthy and fighting this and getting us back to normal. We greatly appreciate you. And uh, that's pretty much all I've got, Tuttle. I'm going to let you walk us out Bummer. here, man. Awesome. We got Memorial Day coming up in two weeks here. Uh, that means, yeah. again, another way to honor our, our, uh, our military and our service members. Of course, for me, that means like a weighted vest Murph, which, you know, I'm going to get you to do Ooh, one Murph of these. Day. We got to start. We got to start training you for that. Do you're that. going to do a little Murph. No, I mean, I've, I've, got a, I've got too much bulk to be able to do a Murph, you said, man. That's crazy. You said 6'3", 240. I'm like 6'3", 200. So I don't know what's going on with you. But uh, but uh, <laughs> we mentioned the CDC earlier. Obviously, the vaccination piece is great. Um, I think for a year now, we've been saying, what does normal look like? I think we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, at least in our lives. And that's really what's, mm -hmm. you know, I guess most important, right? <laughs> there are some people that can dispute that, but in our lives in terms what of about our kids. Me? Yeah. Well, I don't mean in a selfish way, but in our little bubble, <laughs> for know. sure. Like things, things are starting to get back to normal. And so we hope the same for everybody else out there. Um, you know, military first responders, all the people um, getting us vaccinated. My second vaccine is coming up next week as well so hopefully i'll be healthy enough to do the podcast mine is too and, uh, oh nice mine's on the 18th oh 20th so there you go that's all right nice. but we'll be fully fully vaccinated hopefully that means we can carry our vaccination card we'll get it laminated we can go no places without masks be like wayne's world out. backstage yeah. with our past just going hey that's hey, right i'm gonna come out to houston get... maybe a little senior little brewery uh senior <gasps> brewery i'm gonna carry my vaccination card with me so anyway so we encourage everybody that listens to this podcast to get after it and believe it and have a good week